super late what's up to all our sidekicks and hench folk out there in the geek nation you're currently tuning into the cult pop podcast live stream i am your host johnny destructo owner of johnny destructo's hero complex at 4327 main street in philadelphia pa it's a comic book store if you would like some of those things contact me and i will make sure you get them uh with me this week is graphic t-shirt enthusiast noel bartocci noel tell the people something Something I'm going to tell you right now is I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Len, who devoured a plate of shrimp and grits two minutes before the show and is now enjoying a blow pop to wash that down. Tell the people something. I am happy that Noel is here. Oh, you guys are going so quick. I didn't have time to read back to my notes. Also with me this week (laughs) is the recently returned from a fact-finding sabbatical, Brian Lieb. B, tell the people something. One of the facts? Uh, nothing to report. I'm sorry. There was nothing. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that the, in itself is a fact. The The world is, like, empty of facts lately. Or we ignore them, so that's cool. Yeah, they exist independent of us, right? We just know them or don't. That's a fact. Uh, and joining us for the first time in a very long time is good friend of the show, Pink Apocalypse. Hi, Pink. Hello. Pink's I'm, been uh, with us since the Ain't It Cool News days. I've been up since uh, like five o'clock yesterday morning, so I'm a little fuzzy, but I'm here. Well, well, I, well, I mean, it's it's still much much earlier in the morning for you too. Like you are three hours away from us. Cause wait, you're three hours in the past, right? Because that's how time zones work. Mm-hmm. You're three hours in in our past. You guys are clear over in Philly. Yes. Yep. I couldn't remember who was in New Jersey. Somebody told me a couple of days ago that. Fucking A is New Jersey for Indeed. I was going to ask you guys if that's true. Oh, fucking A, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fucking A. I mean, oh, we don't have to. Fucking A, right. Fucking A, right? We don't have to, like, reindict the word John, right? You're, you're familiar with that, too. Are you not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I only uh, recently, relatively recently, in terms of years, learned that that was a Philly area thing. I thought that was a national slang. Maybe even in. No. But no. And no. I like it. I like a good utility word, right? Throw that drone in anywhere. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, oh, Brandon Jackson Short says, Hi, Pink. Good to see you. Hello, Brandon. Oh, the family's all here. Yeah. All right. So, y'all, we are here to talk about this week's books. However, it's the last Sunday of the month. So, generally, what we do is we pick a select few books from this week, uh, a a lesser amount than usual, because we engage in what we call book club. club. Yeah. And uh, it has been requested that we discuss Eternals, the trade paperback collection uh, by Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. from Marvel. I want to say it was like, what? 2007? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's going to be a big blockbuster movie coming out from Marvel at some point when blockbuster movies are a thing that exist again in the in the later times. So uh, we thought we would talk about that. We don't have any letters. Christopher St. Saucy, good night. And the rest of the listeners have been lazy this week. Sons of jerks. So I guess we'll just move on to the books. (sighs) 
Uh, Immortal She-Hulk, number one, written by Al Ewing, with art by Don Javis Hunt. Don Javis. John Davis Hunt, with a uh, cover by Joe Bennett. In the wake of Empire, Jen Walters goes immortal. The Katati invasion has changed everything for Jennifer Walters. Now, she seems to have a new lease on life. But things are never that simple for the gamma-powered. Al Ewing gives She-Hulk the immortal treatment with a horrifying standalone tale. Wait a minute. Wait, what? This is a standalone tale? This no. is a one-shot? No, it wasn't. I mean, Not me. this itself is a one-shot, but I think it it might lead into some other thing. Yeah, so that was that was one of the things I kind of want to talk about this book. It's it's like a it is a it's a continuation of the event, but it's a one shot. But it has to do with like deep in the woods continuity for Immortal Hulk, the book. So it's like exists in this weird space. I'm not exactly sure. Is this supposed to be for her? Is it supposed to be for the Hulk book? Is it supposed to be what I don't know. I thought it was building this. I thought she was be doing something after, like, be featured in some way after this. But well, I mean, the way that it ends, it's just uh, yeah. so you think that she has a new, con- like, a new status quo of she's immortal and can never, like, she gets killed and then is resurrected in and of herself, which right. is like the the immortal Hulk thing. If anybody's reading that, but at the end of this, it's revealed that like, nah, she's not. If she dies again, she's over because the leader is down there is is in hell controlling it all this is well, a def- it's a horror book the basement of hell yeah, have you been reading mortal hulk pink no 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 it's a good horror book i'm like 20 issues in mm. but but the the whole conceit of it though is that gamma radiation is is a it's like that whole thing about how um science and uh magic is just science we don't understand yet Gamma radiation is almost like a conduit. So, like, if you are hyper exposed to it, you you start to kind of understand and see this green door. So, when you de- like, and the green door is used for other things to pass through. So, Banner himself is almost like a conduit to this green door where other things can come through and possess him. And that's why there's all kinds of different manifestations of the Hulk and stuff. It's a really, really crazy, weird story. It's really good. Well, I think the green door, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a, a long, long time reader of the Hulk. Uh, I only dip in here and there when it seems interesting. But if I remember correctly, Peter David did the green door quite a bit during his run where it would be a way for Bruce Banner to keep the Hulk locked away or other versions of the Hulk locked away. Uh, his other personalities and whatnot, right? Is that correct? Does anyone remember this? I never read it. I, yeah, I remember there being like some mental construct that he would go in and talk to the other ones and then like came to an arrangement with them and then Professor Hulk. When well, you said before, it sounded kind of familiar, but I could also just be like, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural construct now. Which, which honestly, to me, that makes it even cooler. The fact that they took old continuity and kind of turned it into a into a horror trope. Was it like an abstract metaphysical thing in, before in the past? or It was like a psychological tool. Leonard yeah. Johnson used uh, whatever construct he used to, to like... The, that was the beginning of the Hulk and is a, is a side of Banner's personality mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, was, that was repressed or whatever. And so he used that to be able to have them and the green the gray hulk was like another side of the personality is slightly different another personality i should say was it like a was it like a stephen king mind palace kind of thing uh yeah one of those there might have a been place a place you can there. yeah a place you can go in your head 
exactly. it's only yours kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then, what like, you guys think? What you guys think of this book? I guess nobody nobody's really reading Immortal Hulk. I fell of off of Immortal Hulk, uh, even though I was really enjoying the horror, the body horror aspects of it. There's a lot of like Cronenbergian horror mm -hmm. stuff in there that I really enjoy, but I just sort of fell off. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not up to date for sure. Yeah, yeah I, what did you think of this book, JD? Ah, this book I really liked, and I was kind of I was excited for she Immortal She-Hulk number two. I didn't yeah. realize that this was a one shot. Just yeah. weird because I run a store. You'd think I'd be more observant, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was really stoked about it, and. I really wanted more of this and it's been frustrating. You know, if you look at the bottom of the screen here, you see three panels where you see uh, two of She-Hulk sort of hands on hips in her outfit and then her shrinking down to Jennifer Walter's size. And it's just three panels of a transformation. And uh, some of the comic book news sites, I guess we're talking about this. And this was the image that they used uh, for their clickbait basically. And boy, oh boy, just the amount of comments down every single time you click on it, all the comments are from like sad dudes who were like, uh, she's not hot anymore. She looks like a man and all these sort of like weird transphobic jokes and stuff. So that was a lot, pretty frustrating, but the book itself, I thought was great. And it was, were they talking it was nice about, to kind of relive the, the origin of, of She-Hulk and sort of her different transformations. This is called the three deaths of She-Hulk. And I kind of forgot that she technically died after Civil War II after getting hit in the chest with a missile. I thought she was yeah. just sort of in a coma. Mm. No, she she died and then she came back with PTSD. Yeah, that which whole, I love that whole Mariko Tamaki run. That was great. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that she, you know, She Hulk is a little different than she's been recently. She's a more savage. Uh, she's not just like Jennifer Walters in a She Hulk body, but I think it's interesting that she wears black and purple now, but when she reverted to Jennifer Walters, she's in white and purple, which yeah. is a uh, classic costume kind of colors for her when she was more intelligent. I don't know, I just think it's an interesting... The the, um, the, the costume, her her uniform, mm -hmm. uh, according to like Avengers, Jason Aaron's Avengers has utility, so it's, it's based off of like celestial technology. Um, mm -hmm. It She's got this problem where she's over. She's power. She's overpowering. Ever since that last death, this version of She-Hulk has been kind of um, more savage. She's she is constantly emanating radiation, and she has been able to almost like burst it out at certain times. Um, it's this this new like tool or whatever. But that suit cool. absorbs the energy, and she's oh. able to direct it. So it's it's. I don't know. They they keep coming up with story reasons, but people keep freaking out that like uh, I want my sexy She Hulk back. It's like, I, whatever, dude. Yeah, I miss when she was hot. Like, shut up. And the, so, the they go ahead. So I okay. So um, if you guys will permit me some like really basic idiot noob questions because. Sure. Yeah, I've got like a weird random scattering of decades of back issues ever, but I've been out for a long time. Um, back in the day, she spoke normally. When did they do the switch where she's talking like the Hulk now and like short, broken sentences and Avengers? Yeah. Uh, Avengers. Um, it was Jason Aaron's start of his run, she, and she doesn't understand why so much because she still has all her faculties. It's just vocalizing because they'll do thought balloons that it's just Jennifer Walters, but okay. it doesn't come out. Oh. That kind of threw me because the last extended 
reading contact I had with her years mm. ago. She was speaking normally, so I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? So it's a her new status quo is kind of a low key mystery for the whole Avengers run thus far. Like why she's got a different relationship with energy, why she can't speak the way that she was before, even though she she's all up there upstairs and she's coming off of PTSD. So it's it's all just kind of underlying it this is different. Yeah. And the shoe hasn't dropped yet. So everyone's kind of reacting based off of she just doesn't look the same anymore and she sounds stupid. Yeah, she sounds she looks like a dude. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she looks like a green irradiated gamma monster. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't get that at all, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> there have been you know what to to be fair, in a like there have been some artists that don't handle her well. I think it was uh what was it in that in that uh Captain Marvel run? It was it she like that that artist basically drew a giant dude with long hair. Yeah. Like it looked like the Hulk, but um Ed McGuinness and this and um John Davis Hunt, like she looks like a female. She's yeah. just a Hulk irradiated monster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so but that's going that's going to happen from artist to artist with with yeah. everybody. Um I myself just like like Pink, I remember when she-Hulk was basically Jennifer Walters, but in a hotter, taller, greener body. And while that She-Hulk visually may be the one that speaks to me the most, because I grew up on it, and, and specifically that She-Hulk was drawn by John Byrne, this She-Hulk, I can appreciate, okay, they're doing something different with her, um, and I'll, I'll ride with it. I like this book so much, one, because I thought the artwork was amazing in it. I thought that she was well proportioned in it. I thought everybody in it was well proportioned, even like Wolverine in, in this book. I love the Thor that uh, this artist draws in the book. I like that this was an explanation of, and this is where it's really confusing, probably JD is probably with me on this. It, it's very much an an introduction into who She-Hulk is now, you know, um, very like truncated for this book, which is why it reads as the number one of an ongoing issue. I mean, never mind that it has number one on the front of it, which is again misleading. If it is indeed in one shot, then you don't need to put a number on it. Just put out yeah. the book. But if you're going to put the number one and then have a story that is basically catching you up on yeah, where yeah. we where we last saw she and where she is now, that is not a one. That, that's not a one shot, ladies and gentlemen. That's a meanwhile on She Hulk. So that's what was confusing about this book. I really enjoyed it. But it, upon coming here and sitting with you, my fellow spoilers, you have yet again spoiled it for me because I thought it was an ongoing. This definitely. The, uh, so She Hulk is like appears mainly. Uh, she has she doesn't have her own book, so she appears mainly in Avengers. Right. So reading this, you're thinking like, oh, it'll you know, it's an Avenger character getting a little one shot, but. When this is collected, I, I can guarantee you it's going to be along with the Immortal Hulk. This is much more of a book. This is much more of an issue of the Immortal Hulk because it's pulling um, Jennifer into the continuity of that book. Like the, the whole conceit that Hulks are immortal and when they get killed, they just kind of come back in a different way. This just kind of is insert like it's almost retconning her deaths in continuity to be a mm -hmm, part yeah. of that 
continuity. So it's it really this really is an immortal Hulk issue. Yeah. But to, to Lens and well, everybody's point really. It also ends in such a way that it's like we've set up the new status quo and introduced a thing that she doesn't know about it that she's wrong about. It's That's it's a new status quo. It's a new status quo for the Immortal Hulk book because it's it's uh, the way that it's done. It's all Hulks now if they get killed. That's it. Can't die because he closed the door. Yeah. yeah. Then, so uh, yeah. Then why not? advertise this book then like they do everything freaking Avengers or X-Men and say uh, Immortal Hulk colon Immortal She-Hulk. Then you know exactly what this is a part of. Immortal Hulk colon Immortal She-Hulk colon the immortality. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I was about to take issue with the fact that you know at the end there was no you know follow She-Hulk in the pages of blank. But I'm an idiot. There is one. Gammagrams. For more She-Hulk, check out Avengers 36, Immortal Hulk 38, the Empire Trade Paperback, and Immortal Hulk The Threshing Place. So they have, at the end, told you where, I guess, to go next. But, man, this is really disappointing for me. I was fully prepared to just read issue two now. Yeah, me too. You you mentioned the art, uh, Len. Mm -hmm. The last time I saw this artist, uh, John Davis Hunt, he did all 24 issues of The Wildstorm. Which, oh. which I tentatively, I it's it was really really good and I loved it and I, I read all of it, but it's hard to suggest because it's a Ward Ellis book and mm-hmm. it's very recent. Yeah, but his art is great and I loved it. Being like watching him do like a a spy book with all kinds of uh, like a superhero spy book was so good because it's like it's hyper like uh, detailed but not really. Yeah, like yeah, it's really good. And very grotesque. I, I really like. Just it felt like a. It felt like a. It felt like part recap, part setup. So I didn't quite understand what was going on. But as far as the new take and everything, I really liked it. I didn't. It, I I grew up when she was getting bounced back and forth between, you know, like the burn arrow, when she's getting bounced back and forth between the Avengers and Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And, uh, maybe because I was a kid and I was impressionable, I. It just kind of cemented in my view, the way he drew her, which I didn't have a problem with. I just had a problem with the skeezy situations that he would put her in, like she'd be begging for a life like a slave when she was on a starship one time. And that used to My favorite that. is when she was, uh, I believe she was jump jumping rope nude. Yeah, well, like... I didn't even know. See, there's some things that, there's some things the second that I, they enters my eyesight, I'm just like, no, I don't even go there. I don't even, yeah. so... It, sometimes I'll, I'll, when I'd be reading through an issue, I'd get hit with something I wasn't expecting. So that's mm-hmm. the kind of things I'm looking for. So I don't know. I like this yeah. to take. The last time I checked in a few years ago, they were playing it for comedy purposes. So I, I yeah. know, it kind of just blindsided me a little bit. But yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Dan Slott's run was very... I didn't think that who it was. Where like she's, yes, um, yes. She was down the hall from Howard the Duck, I think. And mm-hmm. um, when they... You, Used uh, when she would go to court to um, set precedents, she used they would books. use actual back issues of comic books. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's cool. yeah. Didn't like, he this happen in issue blank of this run? And they would be like, "Ah, oh, yes, admissible." He made her like he made her like lawyer supreme, also like a universal <laughs> lawyer and yeah. shit. Like, yeah, he he just did. It was all jokes, good jokes, but just jokes. Yeah, yeah I mean, he was trying to, uh, in his defense, he was trying to. Byrne had kind of like cemented She-Hulk to to a degree as a comedic character. So he was trying to return to that, but tried to do something different with it. And I think he did. 
Um, I like in that this setup kind of like ignores almost all of that and doesn't even really touch yeah. on it and going through her backstory, which is fine because it, it almost kind of lived in a universe of Marvel in and to itself anyway. Yeah. So I dug it. Um, I liked a little bit of this explanation in that, you know, her and Thor have had a little bit of a relationship um, in Avengers. So I mm-hmm. liked those two talking to one another and he even recognizing, hey, if you want to have this conversation, do you, are you sure you want to have it as Hulk? Do you want to have it as Jennifer where we can kind of maybe more talk on a, even uh, on the same playing, playing um, field? I even kind of like that familiarity that they have with each other. Same. Yeah, they, they're straight up dating, and it was a it was a conversation at like their the second date of her being like, "Who do you think you're dating, Jennifer or Hulk?" and blah blah blah. It was it's actually a really good issue. And he was like, "Both." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love a good uh, history of a character comic, like a one shot. You know, uh, like this was mm-hmm. and. I just I think this was a great example of it too. I can find them to be real pleasant reads when yeah. you get like just sort of an uh, overview of their situation, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and I'll fifth in on the art there that it was uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, really I think like um, yeah. Saint Saucy actually mentioned it reminds him of Dylan, but yes. I I don't know. I guess a little bit like more. I would on the spectrum of quietly to Dylan. I think it's closer to quietly. In like the line work, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a little bit of uh, Juan Jose Rip as well. Mm. Yeah, mm. a little all red coloring. Oh, I I like also the- <laughs> every other artist. <laughs> I really like the cheap shot she was taking at Tony Stark. I did too. Yeah, I like that. Uh, a good point. Uh, another artist, uh, Jell- Jelliston from Twitch. He's watching us on Twitch right now. Says. Um, she emits radiation. She gives people cancer. Can she emit enough radiation to make more hulks? It's an excellent question. Not to, I don't think so. Mm. Not to any of our knowledge thus far. So the last time that they've uh, kind of addressed her um, power issues was back in, I think, like the War of the Realms tie-in issues for Avengers. So it hasn't really progressed since then. I don't know how they're going to use it, but they, they pretty much set her up her, her new status quo up as like a, a weapon. You know, I think it was, what was it? Daredevil had the sword. Yeah. He had the sight of, of uh, all father or something. Mm-hmm. So he, he pretty much told her, her future. And part of it was, you know, you're going to be the key of a thing and it's going to be big and bad and you're not going to make it. So he, he foretold her death for the most part. Yeah. He had the, he had the sight of Heimdall, right? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move on to Dark Knight's Death Metal Speed Metal Number One. Joshua Williamson with art by Eddie Barrows. It's the dra- drag race. It's the drag race from hell, taking place after the events of Dark Knight's Death Metal Number Three. The Darkest Knight is after Wally West and his Doctor Manhattan powers. Thankfully, Wally has backup in the form of Barry Allen, Jay Garrick, and. Wallace West. It's a knockdown drag out race through the wastelands as the Flash family tries to stay steps ahead of the Darkest Knight and his Lightning Knights. I didn't realize they were called Lightning Knights. Did they just make this stuff up? For yeah, the, it's the one and only place that they are referred to as Lightning Knights. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, okay, so with Dark Knight's Death Metal, 
each issue has had a huge impact on the series itself. And then the one shot that came out last week was called. Was that Trinity Crisis? Yeah, no. Tri- no? Yeah. Was it? Yes, yeah, yeah, Trinity Crisis. Which I think we all agreed should have been issue four of Dark Knight's Death Metal because it, it's very important. This one, I would say, not as important at all. At all. I don't think anything really changes within the confines of this one shot between yeah. one issue and another of Dark Knight's Death Metal. However, being a huge Flash fan and a huge Wally West fan, I was very happy to hang out with these characters and spend time with them and sort of the character work that was going on between them. I, I think if you are reading Dark Knight's Death Metal, you could probably skip this one unless you're a big Flash fan. I don't think there's anything in here that you absolutely need as part of the... Um, series so far it might play a big part later can't promise that but um that's sort of my takeaway on it and it was really nice to see eddie barrows because with wally west books recently i've been getting a lot of art from a gentleman i don't really like his work as much uh, brett booth so seeing eddie barrows draw these characters was was a huge relief what did you guys think of it pink did you read i I, yeah, I read it. I, I, I read everything, but I okay. I have no I have no idea what the hell is going on <laughs> because I haven't been reading these. It was a little batshit for me. <laughs> like the the Batman who laughs. I don't understand what's going on there. Having said all of that, I I I dug the interplay between the flashes, the little conflict, and the resolution. And I really like that yeah. um, because I have a lot of memories wrapped around all four. Um, I had no idea who any of the characters at the end were. So, uh, oh, the, the extended, recognize... extended Flash family, right? Yeah, I, I, I did recognize. I, 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 other than a bunch of old '60s and '70s issues, I grew up with issue one of Wally coming into his own with the red suit on forward that whole run. <clears throat> that that's Flash for me. So then, any, anything after that, I get a little wobbly on at the end there. But I really liked it. And I really liked his blue suit. Oh yeah. He's got the powers of Dr. Manhattan now. I think that this I think that this was like a four issue four B. Like I don't think that it was completely irrelevant because it was like a it was a main point in issue three of of Death Metal that um the three flashes were going to or the four flashes were were running and then we left them alone completely. So this this wasn't this wasn't like a Uber irrelevant uh cutscene. I, like I thought it was a little bit more than that. Do you think that something changed between the beginning of yeah. this issue and the last of this issue? Yeah. So like they were just running away, and this gave them like the step for the next. Like the the idea that everyone was pulled into everyone that is is a uh, speed force adjacent was pulled into the speed force for whatever like as a deus ex machina for later, and that's how the book is left. Yeah, I do think that that's going to come into play. Fair enough, Brian. They also needed. They needed that Mobius chair, and I think the yeah. the one the one issue with it is I don't remember them needing to reobtain that Mobius chair from the main series, right? But they may Me have that, right. They may have mentioned that, but it certainly didn't hit home. And so something was accomplished that I think is important to the overall story. We just didn't realize that it needed to be accomplished, and. <laughs> So that was, you know, but it had to be done, <laughs> regardless of all. I don't think I. So I, I think I think that all of everything that was accomplished here, the Speed Force stuff, gaining the Mobius chair, all of the, you know, Wally's the leader right now. Let it go. 
Yeah. Um, all of that being accomplished, I don't think that it was set up that it needed to be accomplished, but I do think yeah. that it's going to play into later issues of death metal. I agree. I mean, we know that Wally's position is important in death metal. We just didn't know that they didn't have access to the chair or whatever. I think it will play a big part in it. And and also they were being chased. I also love, like you said, uh, 3D, like just getting to see those characters interact, Jay Garrick interacting with everybody at last, you know, after a long time of not being around. Um, that was cool. They're, uh, they're death metal-y kind of I don't know if it humors me or upsets me, but as soon as like the idea of DC Universe's like impression of like we're gonna go we're gonna go dark now is to just make them like edgelord with spikes, I think yeah. is fucking hilarious. <laughs> See, I thought eighties so like influenced, which normally I'm not too into, but I just I was like, oh, this is kind of cool aesthetic for this story. Uh, no, I mean it was more it was more it was more like Paul Stanley kissed the fact that Jay Garrick had a lightning bolt painted across his face. It's yeah. just stupid. It's it's enjoyable, <laughs> but it's dumb. Yeah, I well that particular scene, I found myself going, why? Why did this happen? What is, what is this effect? How does this change anything? Like, I don't the, the darkness was infecting them. I also, guess. Speaking of costumes, I mean, yeah. we got the classic Wally West costume makes an appearance. Any That's of that? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I loved all his stuff. It was awesome. I did have a tiny little nitpick as far as uh, uh, Wally West getting that costume back. Is that the last time Wally West had a Flash costume, it was slightly different than Barry's costume in that the nose went down instead of like being cut upwards. He had like more of a Batman cowl nose and it was a darker red. And I, I just kind of felt like they went through all that trouble to differentiate the two different Flash costumes recently, you know, as recently as Flash Rebirth. And they just sort of like skipped it. Well, I think this was, I don't think this is a costume that he would end up with, just judging by the fact that even at the end of this issue, he's yeah. coming back to the blue. I think that was just like, pretty much his classic like his first costume change you had like white eyes and yeah after issue 50 yeah yeah and so he was he was doing that to himself i think that was like a self image kind of thing gotcha. um oh also the speed equation of johnny quick the speed that was cool. which i always thought was cool did you guys notice they altered it a little bit no no slightly yz 4a equals question mark they added in the equals question mark to the, yeah. to the formula. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't notice that. Where'd it go? Did it happen already? Oh, it happened. I missed it. Um, Pink, I'm sorry. I cut you off. What were you going to say? Well, you're talking earlier about the <coughs> bolt painted on his face, and you guys are going off about that. Is it? Is it so stupid that it loops around and becomes cool again, or is it just still stupid? <laughs> oh, for what? Wait, for Wally or the the oh the uh, for Jay? Uh, I I thought it was so. Like end result net positive, I thought it was was funny and cool, but the story reason that like the the dark universe is infecting them and it just turns them into like hair metal groupies, yeah. I thought it was it was stupid, and I hated it. But as it went on, I was just like, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't even not- realize he had face paint until this scene, and I was like, oh, he's got a, he's got a lightning bolt paint on his face. Yeah. That's yeah, dumb. It's just like, Hey, I Jay Garrick. Like better without. But, yeah. yeah. Hey, Jay Garrick, the purest character in in all of these books. Like, I mean, he needs more spikes. 
Well, yeah. maybe that's his, the dark universe is seeping in, and this is Jay Garrick's version of what darkness. Yeah. Itself again, yeah. again it's, it's DC's way of being like, look, we're going to make them dark, and it really just makes them edgelord, and it's <laughs> silly. But I, I read this, and I thought, I immediately thought of Brian and, and JD, like, ooh, it's not a sucky Flash book. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's by Joshua Williamson. I was surprised because he's been writing The Flash for the past however many years, and I haven't cared about it. Mm. But when he does these little one-shots, I'm like, oh, that's good. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was not, I'm, I'm a sucker for this. When all these all these Flash family members show up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Except for these freaking kids. Kill these kids. Oh, those kids. Maybe they can age real quick. They did it once already. Then they would oh. just be his adult children who live somewhere else. Can somebody, can somebody isolate that? Except these kids. Kill these kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that audio. That'd, that'd be no context. context quote. Yeah. yeah. But especially on this occasion, JD, like it's always fun to see the Flash family get together. But this is like a, oh, they all exist again. And they know each other and remember each other and hopefully are back going forward. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm hoping that this... Uh, well, also, okay. So I forgot that Linda knows who he is again. I'm not sure that, so I, there was something that happened in the unreleased free comic book day thing it was that was eventually released as part of the trade for that, but I didn't read it. And I get the sense that, that that might've had something to do. Oh, okay. No, I think like they even say it in this, they, all of these people were pulled into the speed force mm. from different universes and time frames and stuff so this i think this is og linda and the kids okay like they were all kind of because the the whole thing about all this is that everything matters everything has happened mm. everything on every earth counts so i think they were pulled from whatever continuity that they wanted to be pulled, like that the writer wanted them to be pulled from so this is linda cool. the kids <laughs> max mercury all of them cool yeah. Uh, Carol Kay is watching from YouTube, which she said hello. So I just wanted to say hi back. Hello. And uh, action figure expert says, "How and why did a Flash get Doctor Manhattan's powers? Who wants to field this one as as quickly as possible?" Brian. Yeah, Burrow. I was going to ask. I was going to ask that, but then I decided not to. You see, it was Tempest uh, Fugonaut. <laughs> hey, that fucker. Yeah, that guy. He's always always Fugonauting something, and this time he Fugonauted Wally West. And it was essential to something at some point, which I guess is This isn't an explanation. <laughs> go through a series of trials in different universes. And ultimately, I think the Dr. Manhattan powers were, no, they weren't within him all along. It was, he like, he's forced to sit in the Mobius chair. He gets his kids back but they're like no you have to go accept these powers and go off to some destiny and so he Man did that and here he is uh manhattan's powers were uh well manhattan's powers were or the mobius chair was a bit of a conduit for manhattan's mm -hmm. powers to, to uh rebirth stuff yeah. and wally was kind of manipulated into sitting in it and other people have sat in it and it has destroyed them uh, but the way that Wally, like his frequencies and, and able to, you know, traverse other universes, he was able to just kind of almost like a tuning fork. Yeah. That's how. Which is a frequent Wally West metaphor. You know, like when he's traveling in time, that's how he finds lightning rod. <clears throat> you know, yeah. I was say, lightning rod, yeah. tuning fork, but, yeah. 
But as to how Manhattan is even in the DC universe, that's another conversation, and Wikipedia probably does a much better job. But let's find oh, out. Well, I mean, it's it's easy. At the end of Watchmen, the graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan says, hey, maybe uh, this universe is whack. I'm going to go create my own. And so instead of, he, I think he tried a couple of times to create his own, and he was like, well, this sucks too. What if I go to another universe that already exists, and I fiddle with it? So um, basically, he's he, he becomes the fiddler, and he starts fiddling with all different stuff in the DC universe, and that's how we got the New 52 and some other uh, events like that. And um, that's sort Doomsday of, this clock. is all piggybacking off of that mm. in from Doomsday Clock. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Like, the more I think about it, the more I liked Doomsday Clock. Me too. Oh, yeah. Especially the, the wrap-up, you know. Yeah. Very cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah. Rob Patey, a uh, previous guest on the show, is so is Wally now aloof to the trials and tribulations of mankind because he knows all? So I guess what he's saying is Dr. Manhattan, mm. because of his Dr. Manhattan intelligence, his cosmic awareness, and the way that uh, he kind of exists in all times throughout space, uh, or his existence, I should say, he doesn't really care about humanity or Earth or any of that stuff. Mm. But this this doesn't seem to affect other people who have gotten that... <coughs> Uh, Dr. Manhattan yeah. power because I asked the same question when the Batman who laughs got Dr. Manhattan power and he became the darkest knight and I was like well shouldn't he not care about this stuff anymore because these Dr. Manhattan cosmic awareness I guess D John Osterman is just kind of a dickhead Maybe. yeah it, it's like the the whole thing with Dr. Manhattan's abilities or, or he's essentially only become a power-up like they're not recreating or Dr. Manhattan's not taking over these bodies it's just a power-up so, you know, stuck a brain into uh, a husk that has the powers of Dr. Manhattan doesn't mean that he's immediately going to become an all-seeing piece of garbage. Nah, whatever. And I also think <laughs> that Wally doesn't seem to have, like, he doesn't have the same kind of full access to Manhattan's abilities that even the Darkest Knight had. Like, I mean, kind of got those powers within him kind of thing. He's a, he's a murderer, too, now, right? Well, Wally is still a murderer? It was an accident. And hopefully soon won't have happened. So a mass manslaughter. <laughs> Who also hit his crimes. Yeah. True. And, but the whole universe is now like completely different. Did that happen in this continuity anymore? Oh, it, it happened. I also, mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but in the Flash main series after Heroes in Crisis, recently it was revealed that Zoom was the one running through time and sort of whispering and trying to affect different people's decisions. So uh, part of the reason that now, part of the reason why Wally did all that is because Zoom was whispering in his ear, sort of affecting him uh, subconsciously. So uh, Iago style, just like, you could just hide the murders. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, what if I hide the murders? Yeah, ooh. <laughs> what, what, if I, what if I run back through time and then <laughs> fix what happened? Now nah, you should hide the murders. Oh, okay, that's better. <laughs> But it still involves running through time, right? Yeah, as long as I get to run through time, I don't care. <laughs> Brandon Jackson says, this is why I don't like any DC Watchmen stuff post-Doomsday Clock. I have high hopes for Rorschach, though. That is, new that, is, that is a bipolar statement. Like, I hate it, but I <laughs> want this to work, but I hate it, but I want... Like, is this the Rorschach just, from Doomsday every, Everything should be judged based off of if it's good or not, not I don't accept premise. Like, if they want to do stuff with the Watchmen universe, fucking do it. Just make it good. If it's not good, it's not good. Like I just hope, no. I just hope people are liking Rorschach for the right reasons. 
and not yeah. for the completely wrong reasons, yeah. <laughs> like you see more and more of lately. Yeah, you mean like the Fight Club dilemma? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I won't derail it. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Ten of Swords, number one, and that is by Jonathan Hickman with art and cover by Pepe Larraz. A tower, a mission, a gathering of armies. That's all that Diamond has to say about that book. Hopefully we have something more to say about that book. What did you guys think of it? Brian Lieb! I'll tell you what, guys, I've been sort of background excited for this, and it's the next big thing from the, you know, the Hickman run, and I was not as into it as I would have liked to have been, and it was just, it took me a while to get through it. I thought the art was murky, and that may have had something <laughs> to do with it. Um, yeah, like, not that it was bad. It's just, like, very heavy and dark. And it just didn't move. Like, the book didn't move for me. Hmm. Um, and, well, I mean, yeah. The, yeah. And the, the fact that I, this makes sense now. The fact that you were sending us grammatical nitpicks instead of, like, what you thought of the book probably was like an indicator that you were get kind of boredly going through it. Well, that was early. That was early into the book too. And I like multiple times I'm like, all right, here we go. And then not so much. Uh, <laughs> but, and I, you know, it's funny. I, I considered not reading it. He, uh, Hickman uh, refers to the Citadel as a spoke. And I don't want to like relitigate right. it. I mean, just in general, like your right. reading experience makes sense. Now the fact that you like were nitpicking the, the functionality of a wheel. No, and if the metaphor fits as opposed to it's not a nitpick, it's a glaring error, but it's uh, just reading it. I was like, that's not what a spoke is. And, but I, I don't think it affected my enjoyment of the rest of the book. I just thought it was in a minor amusing. I know. still maintain that he was correct, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, the spokes are the parts of the wheel. The hub <laughs> is the center. The hub is the center of the wheel. That's what the citadel is. Even in the diagram later, it's right. It's not an axle. Are we thinking axle? No, no. a spoke is unmoving. The wheel moves, the spoke moves, but the spoke is, unwe is unmoving. The spokes are part of the wheel. The round part is not the wheel. The, the round part and the spokes are the wheel. The whole thing is the wheel. Yeah. They move in relation to the hub, which is the center, the citadel. In this <laughs> What did you think of the story? It was fine. It was boring. <laughs> You know, that's it. I gotta pee. I'll be back. You guys can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's kidding. He's going to pee. The diagram that you sent. Has no, like, no, no. I don't care. Hey, I, I really, I really I do want to know about the story. You brought it up. Well, no, no. I brought it up as as an anecdote to. <laughs> I see now why you are paying more attention to the the you know like the text in the middle of pages as opposed to that because if you were kind of bored with the story. You pay a little bit hard, like more hyper attention. I find his text to be sometimes I skip it. Even it, it can be boring itself. You know. Yeah, of course. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the cult pop chat. This is what happens all week long between Noel and Brian, and often Brandon. As yeah, Brandon chimes in over the minutia in the comic book pages. Please continue. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> How'd you like the story? See, it has it has minutia, but the story itself, <laughs> I just was not into it. I was not too into it. I found it dragged, and 
I mean, I like the I like the magic side of X Men. I was really enjoying Excalibur. I've kind of fallen off of it. Um, it did raise for me the question: so, if all of the mutants are back, why are the older mutants who died that Apocalypse talks about, who aren't these ones, why aren't they back on Krakoa as well? Um, Wait, what? Like they can bring back all the mutants who ever lived, right? So. Yeah, but those those mutants those mutants on um are you talking about the mutants on Araco that were like no the, separated uh, like they survived they're alive I mean the ones yeah. like their mother for instance has died but Why she died they... on Araco like that's uh that huh well or, it, should, or it should matter the fact that it's it predates um uh Xavier even knowing about her the whole reason why they could um uh resurrect anybody is like physically they can make a body but it's that stupid helmet xavier like is he's backlogging their um consciousness constantly so if he's never met them it's only from people that he has met after he was that in this timeline all right yeah that's a good point Um, even in this timeline it's like that all happened thousands upon thousands of years ago so what is, is somebody going to whisper down the lane, this person that he could kind of maybe recreate? Yeah. It's, it's the, the resurrection protocols are within his con like within his, his understanding. Right. So only people he's ever met and been able to download. Right. Uh, um, Robert Patey wants to know exactly what is the story of 10 of swords. So can you give us a 32nd pitch on, on exactly what is the story of this issue? I think I think I might be able to, uh, unless Pink wants to try. Uh, well, since you're, you, I mean, you're more familiar with what's gone on before this issue. Uh, you probably should, but just really quickly, uh, Brian's right. The smoke analogy is wrong. <laughs> but, but but having said that, I loved this book. I loved the art. I loved all of it. But you give the you give the synopsis. <laughs> Um, uh, I guess, does everybody, does everybody remember, um, Krakoa making sex with another island? Yes. Oh, yeah. Araco. Yeah, so there's, (laughs) (laughs) Krakoa is a sentient island. Apparently, they have a twin. That twin is the island of Araco. They were originally one island and split into two. Forever ago, they were one island, which was, uh, Okaro, I think it was, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, and on this land, ancient times was actually where um, Apocalypse's kingdom was, and the original mutants, and he had children, and a all this stuff. It was a original gateway to other world. Shit happened. They split. the The access to that world was lost, and now because those two islands have found each other again. Apocalypse made a gate to Otherworld through it, which is what the islands wanted. Now they kind of open themselves up to angry races that want to destroy the world outside of Otherworld, right? But it's uh, this, this, uh, the Starling Citadel has kind of created this level of combat to decide, almost just like a trial by combat, where it's yeah. 10 warriors, 10 swords on each side, and that will decide whether this faction can step outside into Krakoa and, and Akaro to take over the world. 
so the X-Men are, are essentially fighting the best warriors of Arako with these magic swords to stop the world from being destroyed. Or the universe, I think. Something like that. It sets up a Royal Rumble, but unlike so many other times I've seen it done, it's not stupid. It doesn't feel stupid. Yeah. Is that what you appreciated most about it, Pink? No, I, I appreciated it because it felt like, it weirdly felt like as if J.R. It felt as if Tolkien was wrote an X-Men book. I don't know. I just really liked it. It was Oh, cool. It was weird, like high fantasy. I, I really love the art. I'm I'm kind of blown away that Brian reacted to it the way he did. I loved it. Same. But yeah. I Well, I like the art in the individual. Like, it, I like it. It looks good. I just didn't, I felt like bogged down by it as a sequential kind of story. Though. Oh, man. I Yeah, I could look at this book all day. I think it's great. I think it's really when well the illustrated. When came down, she turned, she, turned a, she turned Anubis into a Funko Pop on page 58. That was so awesome, yeah. yeah. His head his head stayed big, but the body was little. It was awesome. Uh, Pink, did you did you ever did you read Powers of X and House no. or House of X Powers of Ten? No. You should. If you, you know, if you like the style like, of this. The the like She Hulk was like a weird recap, but it was kind of a story. Okay. Uh Flash, I was walking in on the final scene of the final episode of a TV series I haven't been watching. Yeah. This, despite not reading anything up to it, I felt like I understood everything I needed to understand. I was sucked right in. I felt like I got a complete story. It left me wanting the next issue. I love this. Nice. I, I really think I really think that you would enjoy Hawkspox just as a twelve issue kind of the new status quo on these islands and the protocols because it's done in this exact style and I actually with this artist, this yeah. uh, him I mean, and Arby Silva. I, 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 I felt sympathy for Apocalypse. I felt sucker punched when that happened. I just, mm -hmm. I know, I really like his book. Yeah, I I'm going to uh, agree with Noel. Uh, you should definitely read House of X Powers of 10. It was two six issue miniseries, all by the same creative team Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, and Pepe Larraz, who drew this book. And it sets up the new status quo for all of the X Men books moving forward for the next couple of years. And it is. Probably the best X-Men story I've read since, like, the Grant Morrison and, um, uh, what's his nuts? Quietly. Um, mm. Well, I was going to say, also, um, Joss Whedon's run. I liked as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, I'm glad that Noel took a second to explain what actually happened in this issue. Because I wasn't 100% certain. As I with probably a lot got of, a couple things wrong. As, as with a lot of Hickman stuff, <laughs> I read it, and then I read it again. And I still feel like I'm missing something. And I always have trouble like melting down the Hickman plot to like its essential beats. Because mm -hmm. there's so much going on that I always need someone to be like, one, two, three. Here's what happened. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a kind of work that, you know, some comics feel like work and it's a problem. The Hickman X-Men stuff is work to me, but it feels good. Hmm. You know what I mean? And also, yeah, I was trying to find that page with uh, the diagrams, a little... The diagrams reminded me of a manual of the planes from D&D &D or something. I really appreciated yeah. them, but they, they weren't necessary. I don't know. I really liked them. That's a big that thing is... that Hickman does with a lot of his comics. And it's been a, it's been a style in every single X-Men comic book since Hawksbox. They all have interstitials, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love the fact that they brought back Sword. Is I, that like... Oh. The thing so the on the nose, so on yeah. the nose that it's a book about swords that they bring back 
sword. And I'm like, oh, oh dude, shit, I, duh. I, I, cl- I clapped at the end. When I got to the end reveal, I went, oh, god damn it, Hickman. So anyone who doesn't know, it, S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel Universe is an Earth-based um, sort of protection plan, right? It's, a, yeah. uh, it's above all the governments, and it's there to protect... Um, the earth from superhuman threats and what have you, espionage, all that. Um, and uh, I think, was it Joss Whedon who created sword? Uh, it was, yeah. Yeah. It was Joss Whedon and Kieran Gillen because yeah. it was introduced in the astonishing X-Men run. Exactly. So yeah, the, which also, it works well, you know, you've got sealed, but uh, shield, but you've also got sword and sword is the sort of space version of shield there. They hang up uh, in a, a satellite, like the, I guess the justice league and they're to protect the earth against, Extra universal threats, I guess. I, I'm looking up the acronym. Sentient World. Brandon Jackson has supplied it for us. Sentient oh, World Observation it's- and Response Department, which is actually a very sensible acronym. Like they really did a good job wanting to call it Sword and coming up with something that isn't much of a stretch at all. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, one of my favorite bits from one of the Marvel movies is um, someone's talking about Shield and what it actually means. And someone goes, oh, it sounds like you really wanted that to spell shield. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the fact that this is the Ten of Swords and they bring in the actual sword program. I was like, ah, that's adorable. I love it. I guess we'll move on. <laughs> well, the, the issues toward the end, it sets up the chapters. There's, I think there's 11 chapters total. And I saw one of the issues coming up as is a Wolverine issue, which immediately made me think of the She-Hulk issue that we just reviewed. And that scene that he, when he showed up, I was just kind of, eh, you yeah. know, it's, that scene it's kind tw- of flat for me. So those 11 chapters is just the first half. This is a 22 chapter story. story. Yeah. You know, I may have, I saw that on the cover too. And I was like, Oh, Oof. so that I think colored my my whole outlook on this book going into it because that is a lot of chapters, um, and across be, so many different books too. It yeah. was, and also it didn't. Hoxbox was was good, and then I thought that all the X books were going to continue that story, and they haven't as much as I thought they were going to. And so I think I was just kind of oh. like. A that actually that actually came up in here. Um, they were talking at the client council. They were talking about all the threats that they're facing. Mm-hmm. And I, what was it? Nightcrawler that was just like, oh, and Orcus. Don't forget Orcus. Because the last time we even heard of that organization yeah. was during Hawksbox. So it's like yeah. it was a subtle reminder of like, I haven't even started. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I sort of. I also looked down my nose at 22 parts of the story. Um, I, I don't think I'm not entirely sure that that's the best uh, uh, use of use of the X-Men right now. Uh, 22 issue crossover event through all of the books. Uh, I think there are too many X-Men books as it is. And this does not make like for some people, they'll eat it up. I have a couple customers who are like, give me all 22. I'm in. I've only been reading one X-Men book, but just give me all of Ten of Swords. But I think for a lot of people, it's a turnoff. Uh, me included. I think most of the people on this podcast included that 22 parts is a bit hefty. Um, yeah. But I still enjoyed this first issue and I'm going to continue reading this. So we'll see how it winds up, I guess. I mean, better this, better the X-Men be into a universe almost unto themselves and able to have their own storylines, their own kind of like continuity, as opposed to this being down. We've got to see how this affects the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and everything, yeah. like, everything like that, you know. And it probably will read much like 
these things do. There'll be certain ones, like if you're following everyone, great. You'll catch every nuance that these different artists and writers have to bring to you. But there'll probably be certain books that you probably don't need to read. Like to Pink's uh, point, the Wolverine issue, I very seriously doubt that anything super substantial is going to happen in the Wolverine book that won't be referenced or reiterated in another one of the books so that you have to buy the Wolverine book. You know, hey guys, so point of fact, the Wolverine one, though, I think is a terrible example because I think that one's probably going to matter more than others because they both both um, factions of teams mention the Muramasa sword as one of the swords they have to collect. So I actually think that the Wolverine, because that's the sword, that's the, the, the sword that could kill Wolverine. Like that's his sword. I actually think that that book over most of them is probably going to have its own separate conflict that ties into the whole issue which are the whole thing, if it's going to be also like a, a, a red herring kind of, or sorry, a um, MacGuffin. Yeah, uh, a, a big MacGuffin chase for that one sword between two factions. It's all, but that itself is kind of an issue with it. Like, these aren't tie-in yeah. books. These are enumerated these are chapters. chapters. Yeah. yeah. And so if you don't realize that, you, you know, if you, if you were at land walking in the comic store and you're like, I'm not going to get Wolverine, and you don't realize it's a big issue, but then you're upset that you didn't get it, you know, rather than like a concise uh, event that has tie-in issues, that then we won't read. That's why they don't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, who was that? Rob Patey says 22 issues is, is fine over three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rob. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is the pacing schedule that they set up. Is that typical now? It's like spamming them at you like four a week or something. <laughs> it's not usually well, this bad. Yeah. At most it's usually like bi-weekly, which is, which is relatively manageable, especially if you're enjoying it. But yeah, like they're setting this, the, the, the publishing schedule for this is, as you saw, like in the back of the book is like four books on one week, four books, another yeah. week, like, they're going to have this done by November, but it's going to be, like you said, spamming. It's going to be a deluge of, of X-Men books that you have to read in this order in your yeah, inbox. People out of work. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about it, though. The thing I like about it is that it'll be easy to figure out which book you read when. when They're I all numbered. Yeah. You know, as opposed to things like Dark Knight's Death Metal, where it's Dark Knight's Death Metal 1, 2, and 3. And then a bunch of one shots. Do you, you know, if you lose track of that in the reading order, you're kind of screwed. Uh, Christopher St. Saucy asks, Did you read my email about this? And if, uh, Chris, if you're talking about the email you sent after we start this show today, no. If you sent an email before that, I didn't see it. Uh, maybe, maybe I didn't, uh, maybe I missed it. Um, uh, COVID messed with the schedule, says Brent. Oh, all right. So maybe it wasn't supposed to be so many a month, but COVID messed with the schedule. And so they're just like splurting them out at you. Yeah. Catch. Uh, I would like it. I like, I would rather read them all at once rather than having it spread out over an entire summer and fall. Um, so, oh yeah, he's asking if I read the email he sent after we started the show. No, I did not. Um, we will talk about that <laughs> next week. Um, I'm just watching Len. I'm just watching Len. Uh, so we are done with that book. Let's move on to our final of the weekly releases before we get on to our book club review of Eternals. 
the trade paperback by uh, Neil Gaiman and J.R.J.R. This book is The Unkindness of Ravens. I'm sorry, An Unkindness of Ravens by Dan Panosian and Mariana Ignazzi. Uh, not all witches burned during the Salem witch trials, and the ones that survived did so together. Now, generations later, their descendants protect the ancient secrets entrusted to them. They call themselves the Ravens. Huh. Wilma is a new girl in school, and she plans to go completely unnoticed, except that she bears an eerie resemblance to the Raven member Waverly, and Waverly just went missing. Uh, there are two more paragraphs of a descriptor that I'm not going to read. Uh, let's just talk about the book. Oh, JD, may I, uh, before we jump into the thoughts, the reason it's an unkindness of ravens, I believe, is that that is the name for a group of ravens, like a uh, pride of lions or a murder of crows, an unkindness what? of ravens. Yes. Really? Yeah. There was a fad, I think, in like the 1800s or whenever of just like coming up with those names. And uh, I believe that's one of them. They're very Yeah. Cool. Like, yeah. Uh, murder of crows, flock of birds, unkindness of ravens. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of yeah. that animal. Yeah. A crotch of car salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> Pink for the win. <laughs> uh, can we come up with some for like uh, toxic douches on the internet? Like, not right now, but yeah. let's come up with our own terminology. Right, e like, email us at uh, cultpopgo at gmail.com and let us know what you think a gathering of uh, toxic fanboys would be. Um, <laughs> so I am a big fan of like spooky October spooky time books, uh, witches and all sorts of different uh, uh, horror characters, I guess. Not that witches are horror characters, although sometimes they are. Anyway, uh, so... I was excited to read this, and I thought it was pretty solid. It's got a bunch of different elements that I really enjoy. It's got, um, you know, fish out of water tale. You've got high school drama, a little bit mm -hmm. of the Mean Girls mixed with the Craft, uh, two movies I enjoy. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this book. And, uh, you know, Boom Studios is really doing a bang-up job putting out books that I care about this past couple of years. They've really mm -hmm. stepped up their game as far as I'm concerned. So I'm uh, just curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. Pink Apocalypse, let us know. Um, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was well-written. I like the interior art. I don't like the cover. I hate switcheroos, by the way. I hate it when the cover art doesn't work. <laughs> uh, but it was a, I don't know, it was, it was a tween book. It felt like a book for tweens. I mean, it, it, it wasn't gritty enough to hold an adult's attention, per se. You know, I, I for, at least in my opinion, I don't know, it's, it was good. I'm feeling personally attacked. That's cool. Yeah. I think that's what it was meant, too. I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah. You, you felt I, the I same way that JD's being personally attacked or that this wasn't written for adults? Uh, no, that, that you were being personally attacked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I feel, the same, I feel the same way that it wasn't. It, it, it was just fine. But, it, yeah. like, I, I didn't feel the audience. Like, I wasn't the audience for it. Maybe I will be in the issue, too. But this was all just really good interior art, a lot of introductory stuff, and cute and that's yeah. great but i just i was like all right cool i i okay, actually there's, did also. there's a couple of young teens that i could think of that i would recommend it to but is this something i would read not keep reading not necessarily no uh i had sort of a synthesis of those opinions like i did feel like it was you know it wasn't too heavy it was and the the art style i think contributed to that 
Um, and it's, uh, but I also enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the ride. Um, I liked the design element of the, I, she kind of comes off as the leader of the Ravens where her eye patch has a, like a sideways smiley face, which I thought was cool. Maybe like an old school text texting kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, which didn't occur to me until right now <laughs> as I was talking about it. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. And, and I like the, the conflict that's been set up. These two groups both want her to, to be part of them. And the last page reveal was a little cool magic-y stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I thought, I thought the, um, the magic-y reveal could have been a little uh, stronger, I think. I think the end was just like, oh, it's over? Oh, okay. I guess. But yeah, I, I, the, the, the book didn't end. It just fell off a cliff. Like mid scene, yeah. and that the, like that left me a little colder than anything else. Like if they would have left with like an actual story crumb, as opposed to look at those people you don't know. It's like oh, oh, all, right, all right, that's cool. You know, I think like, it, reveal, it my problem is that the reveal is ooh, they're doing magic, but like we already saw them. They still we know that they're related to magic because they yeah. leave a magical uh, spell in her locker, which mm. spells out "Meet us here later." Um, so like we already know that magic is involved. So seeing the ravens are magical was not a reveal. Yeah, yeah. And and the die that, that final scene where you know the league she says I see everything, but there's no real. So you're just standing there. You, we don't yeah. see you seeing everything. You know. So it's it's not really detailing anything like that um it's not really dynamic in in a way that that ends so that's the other reason why it just feels like you know like oh my god like somebody ripped out the last nine pages of this book because yeah. this can't be where it ends but it's it, just but it did but that being said though um i recognize like everybody this is not for us this is not for the 30 40 50 year old you know uh comic book reader i don't think i don't think that that's the audience it's done well enough that you can appreciate the quality of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you are a fan, and let's face it, in the 21st century right now, a lot of people's introductions into the world of comic books are not coming by way of comic books. They're yeah. coming by way of comic book properties that they are that they are falling in love with. So if you are um, a fan of Riverdale or Sabrina show on Netflix or something like that, yep. especially with both of those shows seemingly, I think about to be coming shortly towards their end. And you are going to the comic book shops. It's like, Oh, I heard these are comic book properties. Let me see if their books are in there. And then you may be looking for something along those lines. I think that this book will fit for you. I think that to Pink's um, point, the, the the change up from the cover art to the interior art may leave you a little cold, depending on which side of the fence you fall on, as as opposed to which art style you enjoy. But if you're able to get past that, I think it is enough of a story that you you may be intrigued to buy more. Yes, do I I feel like this probably should have been a 30, 35 page book so that they could yeah. actually finish a first introductory story. Sure. But the quality is enough there that I think that the reader that I, uh, the audience that I think it's going for will be attracted to it mm-hmm. and pick it up and enjoy it. 
I, th- I also really like her, the, I forget her name, the lead character's... Waverly? Yeah. Uh, her character development, I think, is very well done. You know, I mean, she's a new girl in school, which is uh, almost an archetype, but, um, you know, somebody who travels around kind of thing. But I think they do it in a good way. I liked the the karate move that yeah. they like, mm-hmm. a little while later, you find out she doesn't know karate, uh, which which was very cool. And I just think they make her a, a pretty rich character in this one episode. And honestly, I didn't even notice the kind of light on the magic part for a story about magic. Because I guess you get that build up in the beginning. And um, it just, it didn't hit me as an issue. Uh, you know, I thought by the, the last page, I was like, here we go. All right. Yeah. Good to go. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't get that cliff thing that you guys felt. Well, yeah, it, well, it wasn't until, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. It wasn't until um, Len kind of mentioned that it's almost like nine pages are missing mm. and it clicked for me. Like what this felt like was uh, reading a preview issue in previews. Mm. Like they just show you up to the turn, but usually in the book, when you read it, there's another like four pages that kind of actually tell you what the turn is and why right. it's important before right. leaving. Yeah, this was just like a <laughs> I thought the dynamic of those two groups and you don't know which one or both, like, do they both do magic or whatever? I thought that that was introduced with not resolved, but like the introduction of it was resolved. So I think all I of the, focus that on that more. All of the pieces are there. Yeah. Uh, like everything is, is competent and well, just the way that it was organized for me felt like yeah. a fall off a cliff as opposed to a teaser for next. It was just like, Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, I did want to mention, I've noticed that, you know, about 10 years ago, the zeitgeist was zombies. And I feel like right now, witches are the thing. Um, So there's a lot of witch related tales, uh, especially in comic books. Like right now, you can see an ad up here for Faithless 2 uh, by Brian Azzarello. Um, There's just a lot of witch books out right now. And I know a lot of people who really like witches. So uh, if you're one of those people, I would say you can toss this in your bin as well. Um, uh, I've only got a few relatives, but one of them is a cousin I'm really close to, and uh, she's been a practicing witch for like, I don't know, 12 years, and she's observed that there are a, there is this weird dramatic rise in interest in witchcraft and people she's running into, and she can't explain it. She doesn't understand where it's coming from. Over what period of time, do you know? Like how long back? Uh, she would say over the last few years. Yep. So it's very strange. She doesn't mm. understand where all the sudden interest is coming from. Yeah, another mm. good one is um, Black Magic by Greg Rucka. Yeah, that's fantastic. But um, also this week, the autumnal, autumnal was a witch book. Yeah. yeah. So, mm. The same way we were uh, a while ago, we were getting a lot of sci-fi books. We were getting a lot of fantasy books, a lot of zombie books. This is, I think this is the next wave is uh, the occult. Even if you take a look back uh, to about 20 minutes ago when we were talking about Ten of Swords. Ten of Swords is a reference to tarot cards. And even um, Otherworld is a land of right magic. So uh, yeah. even in our mainstream comics, we're getting some, yeah. some occult uh, stuff. Uh, even in, it's kind of tangential, but the new... Um uh, HBO Max, Raised by Wolves, very sci-fi story, but just had a tarot mention. It's not witches, but yeah. I thought it was an interesting piece of data. Oh, and Rob Pady first? says uh, Snyder's Witches, he spelled it wrong, it's W-Y-T-C-H-E-S, was really Idiot. good, Scott Snyder. Uh, <laughs> and Jock, 
did a nice little standalone. It's almost like a just a really solid horror movie. It's in and out. You're done. It's really, really good. Highly recommended. If only we could point to something that happened over the last few years that seemed to turn the world on its head. I was uh, impossible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, you mean you mean like to to kind of reintroduce other worldly ways of taking control of what seems uncontrollable? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, I That's can't think of anything. Nope. more fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything. Um, all right, let's move on to the book club section of the show where we talk about Eternals from Neil Gaiman and art by John Romita Jr. During the 1970s, comics legend Jack King Kirby returned to the House of Ideas with a, perhaps his biggest idea of all, the universe of the Eternals. Their creation was the result of Kirby's ceaseless curiosity about the origin of man and his mythologies. But like many of the King's concepts, it was definitely ahead of its time. Flash forward to 2006, superstar creators Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. have boldly taken on these concepts with a loving hand. In the process, telling a fresh and crackling fun yarn full of mystery, suspense, and majestic power. All with an eye on helping establish Kirby's creations as a vital part of the Marvel Universe once and for all. Against the backdrop of Marvel's Civil War, the Eternals are awakening one by one from a strange waking dream, at once coming to terms with the fact that they are far more than the normal people they have thought themselves to be. They find there is little time to commiserate about such things, however, as they are thrust into a life of life and death struggle that spans both time and space. Wow. Um, so, because it's coming out from Marvel as a movie in the next, I guess, decade, who knows when movies are going to start <laughs> happening again, um, we decided to take a look at this because I personally don't know anything about the Eternals. Um, and I was surprised to find that that would be one of their next blockbuster films. So, <laughs> seemed like a good time to check it out. Uh, my personal take is that this was fine. <laughs> I didn't care. I was kind of bored. Not much actually seems to happen in the story other than you've got these characters who are human and they find out that they are previously gods uh these eternals who were created by the celestials in the marvel universe to protect the planet um and you know one by one they're waking up and they have to go up against the uh what are the bad guys called the deviants, deviants. deviants. yeah the celestials made the well, uh, hundred a hundred yeah. uh, Eternals and then thousands of Deviants and they've been going to war for who knows how long and um, there's, there's an interesting twist in here where we find out why they have been sort of trapped in the bodies of humans and mm. that was kind of interesting for a couple of pages and then um, <laughs> and then it was over and I uh, was glad to be done with it uh, I was really expecting more from Neil Gaiman what did you think Pink? I really should, all I'm going to do is take a chainsaw to this book. I, I hated it on every level for multiple reasons, so you probably should skip me. That's... No, tell us why. Yeah, what do you think? Go, 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 go. Awful. It was like, <laughs> you hear the joke, you hear the joke some people make about baseball. It's 30 minutes of action jam-packed into two hours. Yeah. This book was like 30 pages of kind of a story jam-packed into however many pages it was. It was so boring. The art was so bad. The writing was so awful. Like, 
Well, you should go out with him. He's rich. You know, the, the, the men with tits writing coming out of the female characters. It was just, I hated this book on every level. It was, it was awful. It was, and, and it, it really has given me serious concern for, whereas before, because the only exposure I've had to the, to the Eternals before was the original, what? It ran, what, two years, I think? Not even two years. Uh, I, don't I don't even think, think two was, years. It was, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's enough to be an, they did. There was like enough material to do like one omnibus because I think it just came out or is about to come out. But yeah, like it's not long runs. They did not have a long life in publication. But it was enough to provoke the imagination, and I and I would think, wow, what what, what you could do in a movie with that? I I had I was a naysayer when they were going to make Guardians of the Galaxy into a movie. I thought this isn't going to work. Same. There's no way Guardians of the Galaxy is going to work. Nobody's going to. I care. wasn't. I they don't. They don't. They don't have. They don't have the name brand like Captain America or the Avengers to carry them. But I was wrong. Um, so I'm hoping I'm also going to be wrong with the Eternals. But uh, this, book, I, this book felt like it came out in the early '80s. It felt like a bad book that came out in the mid '80s, maybe, and it came out what 12 years ago. You know what? You just hit it right on the head, Pink. Because awesome. the whole time I was reading this. I, because I knew it was an older book. So in my mind, I was like, all right, you know, I'm trying to give it some pass because, you give know, this book, yeah. yeah, you know, because it's probably was written like in the, the late 90s or something like that. But then when I realized that this was still 2007, I'm like, oh my God, this is a, first of all, first of all, okay, like, Brandon wanted you to go off pink, and I know you will go off now that he's giving you a license, but allow me to go <laughs> off a little bit first. Because first of all, when I pick up a book or put it on my pad, and it says that there are 231 pages, then to me, I better be getting a complete fucking story, right? So when I get to the end of this 231 fucking page book, for it only to set up the basically the next issue of what should have what of what should have really been compressed down into one 64 page book i am like yo this is total bullshit the art is not bad is john romita junior probably at a very at the height of his stylistic time and probably at the best point of his stylist this stylistic moment and it has a little bit of the best of frank miller comes through to me so it's not bad it's not great I i'll give you that but the story is boring it's padded it goes on and on and on the dialogue is Stilted. There is absolutely no personality. There are points in the story that don't make no fucking sense. I don't give a fuck about any one of these motherfucking characters. The first yeah. person that comes into the book that I even give a fuck about is Yellow Jacket, and that's not until the last two fucking books. And even then, he's only on foot fucking two pages. The one, the little back and forth between him and Jan was great. Other than that, I didn't give a fuck. Tony Stark is in here. He's kind of cool, but then they run him into the ground, and then he sits there like he's just checking it out. This is bullshit. This was. Dumb. This was a dumb waste of a book. 
club moment. I don't know who suggested it. I don't know who read it and enjoyed it. And God bless you if you did, but you are people that I have to question your intelligence because this book is boring, dumb, dull, and leads to nothing. And if you believe that reading 231 pages of a book and not getting to the end of the fucking story is good writing, then shame on you. And shame on Neil Gaiman, who did 1602, which was a great book, a fantastic book. Shame on him for writing this piece of shit and saying that it is an homage to Jack Kirby. Because while Jack Kirby wasn't the greatest writer in the world, he did have fantastic, wild, imaginative ideas. And outside of the tapestry and the same title, none of that is on display in this book to me. There is only one time that I was enjoying uh, what was happening. And it's literally when Iron Man comes bursting through the wall like that. With like he's not making an action pose. He's literally just, just sliding, walking. He's yeah. just sliding himself through the building without really like he's not posing, he's not flexing, he's not like flying in like this. He's just like boosh, I'm here. That's the only time I was like, Oh, that's pretty dope. It's a cool like frozen in time moment too. Yeah, where this is really, the, the really well illustrated, I think. I uh, um I'm the one that suggested this. Uh I had never read it. So I didn't, I also didn't, I also thought it was boring as shit. Um, but I, like a couple things, absorbing everything that you guys are saying, and I'm not in disagreement at all. Comparing it though to Guardians, I also don't think is necessarily even fair. Like um, uh, when it comes to finding out that this is the next movie they're going to do, right? With Guardians, there was at least two or three, like there was at least a current run that was highly regarded that people could like, you know, nerds can hold on to this yeah. is, it's like the thing that they keep trying to make work. Yeah. And it's just not. And, and I had, I had also heard that they were like for the movie. I, I trust who's making the movie and the cast is awesome. So, you know, it's probably, hopefully it's going to be good, but I heard that they were also using this as like a reference point for the movie. This, oh my this God. series. <laughs> So I was like, hey, it would be kind of cool if we read this. And then nobody's really read it. It's Neil Gaiman. There's, it's got creators' names that are that are highly regarded. Um, it's going to become more popular, at least in, in understanding and, no, and knowledge over the next year. Why not? And I was, I, was, I was super disappointed. It was crazy, crazy boring. It was um, for as long as it took to do anything, it explained absolutely nothing. Mm. Like... Even the explanations of things were so uh, like ethereal that I that it pissed me off. Like I read everything in here, but I still don't know what the fuck the Eternals are, what they do, or how they function, other than they protect the planet. And well, and the deviant. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Sorry, some of them have powers. Um, and the the deviants, I guess, are just a fuel or like food for the Celestials. That's why know. there's billions of them. Yeah. Basically, the Celestials in the past have been set up as amoral, and that's kind of looks like how they've carried it forward into this one, because the Celestials created the Eternals, and the mm -hmm. Deviants or Changelings, however you want to see it, and their amoral nature of why they created, why they create what they create, and then the nonsensical nature of coming back for judgment later for what? Who knows, since they're amoral and have no code or, you know, like, 
to follow. I don't understand that, but yeah. Also, too, ha having the two factions or creating the two factions, the, the Deviants and the Eternals, it's one to protect the Earth and one to facilitate a food source for them when they do come back. But the Eternals are there to protect the Earth from the Deviants running it over before they can come and just, like, eat all them bitches. So it's <laughs> it's this weird, like, food chain thing, I guess? No, oh, I didn't get that. I'm not entirely yeah. sure that that is accurate either. There were some. I'm not entirely sure it's accurate either. <laughs> I mean, not your not your read of it, but what they said. Like there were some characters that disagreed with each other about like why they were created or what, um, you know, what the real story was. And so I don't know if that was if that is the case or not. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. It took me a week and a half to read this. Because I kept putting it down and I only read a chapter at a time because it was so very boring. Yeah. Um, and, and the way that it was structured too was really upsetting. Like it was five issues of a lot of setup. And then you, you roll into the sixth chapter and it's like, okay, things are coming to a head. Maybe they're just going to like bow it all up and it'll be kind of cool. It was the most anticlimactic battle ever because it was just like mind control, mind control. Hey guys, stop. We're cool now. Yeah, celestial, and then yeah. it ends, and then the seventh issue was just like conflict jam packed into this shit. Like, oh, we're gonna completely, we're gonna introduce this entire hierarchy horde of deviants in a page, and that Makari is actually a reincarnated god. What? That what is, well, it's no, it's, no. It's go ahead. The whole story is their way of of hanging on to all the continuity that came before, but doing a reset, you know, reboot. And, and I guess it works for that. But to connect back what you're talking to earlier about, you were talking about Dr. Manhattan and how once you reach an elevated state of power, you know, by the, by the, by the, by the nature of psychology of power, the, the more powerful you become, the less concerned you are of the common people or the common experience specifically. And, that's I can forgive like hazy, vague background origins or information. I can just kind of let that go depending on the context. But ultimately, the goals of this villain who has been around for a million years is he set everybody up to betray them so that he could get chicks. I'm not even what I'm not even one? talking about Sprite yet. No, he wanted puberty. That's why he betrayed everything he's he ever had. Uh, yeah. He I, just said uh, chicks. Oh, I'm not even I'm not even talking about that yet. I'm talking about this deviant or the deviant war thing with uh them understanding or believing that Makari is this Skadrak messiah or god of theirs. Which is something that's introduced in the seventh issue or the end of the sixth. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Am I supposed to like, I need a flow chart for how, like, it's so boring. I need a flow chart to understand where I'm going because it, it was, it was. Mm. So I had a different opinion about this book, you guys. I enjoyed it. Uh, I read it when it came out and I was like. This is pretty boring, and I'm not super into it, but I really wanted to be because I love the Eternals, and Neil Gaiman is is great, in my opinion. John Romita is an artist that I feel like is very good, but I'm not really that into, you know? I, I don't know. It's a weird dichotomy. So maybe having already read the full story, 
not been super into it. Going back and reading it all at once, I was like, oh, this is fun. I like it. Um, I don't disagree. At the end, I was like, oh, I really want to know that. Like, cool setup. I want to know that story. Uh, they did come out with it. I remember reading it. And it wasn't oh, it wasn't yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was um, the uh, the Knoffs and Daniel Acuna. Yeah, uh, it, it was it, only like ten issues. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't really grab me, as I recall. Um, and, and I did remember. I do remember in like Marvel Universe continuity, mm-hmm. the Celestial being a part of Central Park. Yeah. Now I had forgotten. I do that remember that. Yeah. Happened. So I like. It is. It is not the most action-packed thing. But I guess I was into enough of the, you know, I like super ancient history, mythology. Like, for instance, when uh, Ike Harris is telling Mark Curry, he's like, oh, you were Osiris. You brought words to the Egyptians. And I was like, that wasn't Osiris. That was Toth. Why would Neil Gaiman get that wrong? And then later in the book, he's like, oh, yeah, Icarus got that wrong. You were actually Toth. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a nice little fun thing. Um, But, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry that you guys weren't into it. I thought the whole like sprite thing that was cool and the the grandeur of of everything. You raised some good points about why did they create the deviants or changeling or whatever they call themselves, which is cool that they make that distinction. Why would they call themselves I, deviants? I know, I know you didn't mean this in this way, but can I? I like a distinction. Yeah, I don't need action. Mm. I need progress. Sure, yes. sure. There sure. was no progress. I don't yes. need explosions and punches. I need mm. story yes. progression, and there was none, and that yeah. bothered me. You guys have mentioned before how you, 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 in general, you guys have mentioned before how you prefer when books have a balance. They've got to have, you know what I mean? I'm actually mm. okay with pure talky talky all the way through without a punch being thrown, but God, mm. it's got to be interesting dialogue, and this was just, yeah. you know. Mm. Agreed. Uh, yeah, There's got to be dialogue that moves the story along, or. Cause, cause, Every- <laughs> I when every when every character is stoic, this is what right. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that that just uh, didn't bother me. That I do sometimes have a soft spot for that kind of like we have been around for a million years. Your your struggles are so distant to us that we don't you know we don't register you kind of thing. Um, that mindset is interesting to me. But uh, also, having read it before, I remembered what happened with Icarus. So I was just like, "Ooh, that's a cool progression. Let's see what happens." Good, uh, sorry. There, were, uh, you know, I said there was only one part that I um, was impressed by. There was two other parts that I could remember that I was like, "Oh, that's pretty good." Mm. Basically, uh, one of the, God damn it, the changing people is, you know, holding someone hostage, holding the kid hostage. He's getting ready to eat him, and then Cersei goes, "There, the monster's a tree. Easy peasy." And I like that she just like snaps her fingers and turns him into a tree. I thought that was pretty funny. And then later on. I think uh, the main character who I don't care enough to remember the name of is talking to um, Giant Man. And he's basically like they show up ready to fight. And so he flies up and he's like, listen, there's a whole thing going on. Why don't why don't you instead of us fighting? How about if you just hang back for a minute? And he goes, oh, OK. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wow, we never see that in mainstream comics. And then later he's doing it again. He goes, you're doing some sort of mind thing on me, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. This is like I thought those were like clever little bits yeah. of uh, dialogue. I was I liked those parts a lot. I was also impressed with the um, seventh issue climax with the sprite storyline. Mm. I was like, oh shit, okay. Yeah. Like that was the only time in the entire book that I was like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah. And I'll it, give you, it there, came there, quite there was, late. There was like four or five really interesting pages out of the 230 pages that was there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I just want to give those five pages their due. Oh, also, <laughs> what the fuck is the Unimind? Oh, the Unimind. See, that's the other thing. I've always liked the Eternals. And the Unimind is a very weird Kirby-ish concept where they can, if there are three or more Eternals, they can join together in this, like, entity that is the Unimind. And well, you know, like thank, God, thank God they explained it in this story. It was also pretty all. to the climax of, like, that Sprite formed a Unimind with the Celestials and all that stuff. I can't fault anyone for not already knowing what the Unimind is, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. they talk about it like, no, you're the asshole for not understanding what happened before. Like, right. Yeah, this is a this is a reboot after thirty years of no publication. Right. Give me something. It's also a very strange concept. Like you've got the Eternals who each have their own abilities, but separate from that, they can all, you know. I need. Win. I felt like what? I'm just I'm I'm getting riled up. I felt like I needed an appendices of references in order to even <laughs> barely understand or 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 enjoy what the fuck was happening in this. Well, movie. the problem is is that they couldn't properly reference it because what it is. Actually, the Unimind is Kirby cribbing from himself because <laughs> it's him taking his forever people yeah. from DC yeah. that used to yeah. uh, join together to create. I forget they created like the big, some big Unicron looking type of creature and mm -hmm. everything like that. So that they can't they can't put a reference. Oh, see DC's forever people, so that you can know exactly <laughs> what the Unimind is. Yeah. You know what was perfect in this book? Mm. And and I like while reading it, I was just like, God, I fucking love this. All the lettering was amazing. Ah, excellent. Even I, the way that they did languages in a different yeah. font with that, like all the lettering was fucking awesome. Because I, I, I really loved, loved speaking Russian, right? <clears throat> I loved I loved the way they were doing the Russian font. Yeah. I, I was like, that's clever, that's great. And then as the book went on, I'm like, okay, it's getting hard to read. <laughs> You know? That's true. That's, but that's because your eyes were blazing over. That's yeah. yeah. If it was more interesting to read, I don't think it would be that much of a barrier. Yeah. Would yeah, you guys put up reactions? It seems like it would be the kind of thing that, that would tickle you folks. The reactions of the kind of tourists and, and everybody to the celestial at the end. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It does seem kind of like, yeah, yeah. All right. Very good. I, I like I like the dummies not understanding that a rare metal is probably more valuable than gold. I thought was hilarious. Right. <laughs> but again, it's a sucker for a Messiah story too. Not that this was one, but it introduces one. And I was like, Oh, Makari, he's got an extra thing going on. I'll see what he's got. Oh uh, yeah. What's the extra thing? That's, that's my point. What's the extra thing? Well, because a uh, deviant calls him by a name and says, Oh, you are him. What, no, what, I mean, I think it's that. Uh, the celestial has done something like he said, Oh, he speaks with it now, right? He speaks with it now. And he included the celestial, like when the Eternals were being created, this particular celestial um, included some extra stuff in Makari that, that we don't know. So I think the intent was going forward to shift it as like Makari is the main character. Icarus is his friend as they go around getting the Eternals, so, back, but it just didn't take off. Did 
Len, did you did you or in general did you guys read the first arc of Jason Aaron's Avengers run? Because I'm just going to keep bringing this run up apparently today. <laughs> um, um, is that the one that is? It's the, the uh, final the, host the, or the, the first host. I do. Yeah. I just finished reading that book. Yeah, like it gets into it almost retcons some of the stuff. The human race itself is mm-hmm. a disease of the first sick host. So, like, a sick celestial mm. sneezed mm. and created human beings. And, that, like, that kind of became part of the whole, like, celestials, deviants, and then humans in the middle. And we're just, we're literally a disease on the universe, uh, uh, a celestial's disease. And I thought that that was even more fun. That was more. That was more fun. Um, that's a book that I don't think Brian would like either, because <laughs> of I know you want to talk about murky art artwork. The, uh, book in that, the artwork in that is very murky. Um, but back on this, another story that we didn't like. You talked talk about Mark, the Mark Curry character or whatever. Hmm. The whole um, oh, who was the guy that took over the fake land? Bar- uh, Druig or whatever, however you said his name. Oh yeah, Druig. You, you feel you feel like there's this whole setup that's going to be that's being made where there's going to you know they're going to be there's going to be uh, you know a butting of heads between him yeah. and the Icarus character, or maybe him and somebody of the Eternals, right? Because he seems to be like the Dark Eternal, and he more or less calls himself like the Dark Eternal. But when he he shows up, he pretty much hey guys. And now he's just now he's just Reggie Mantle in the Archie crew who's just hanging out there and just making b- bad puns behind the scenes. I think this is one of those situations where they are it's one of those uh, like court intrigue kind of scenarios where they're all together but he works against them but they're all still Eternals. They have a, a certain re- and they've like made a deal now where he can do his own thing. And I think he's done this before. I think it's one of those deals. This book yeah. really is setting up a, an Eternals ongoing status quo, but it seems as though it's an Eternals graphic novel because that's how they market and sell it. And the status quo never took off. So, you know, like this is it really. Yeah. I wonder what happened. I wonder if the sales on this book weren't that great or if it was just that the follow-up wasn't. I remember, I remember reading the follow-up and not being like – real excited about it ever and i remember this being i remember this being hella late too so it's not like it had any momentum ever yeah even the way that it's written there's no momentum so shit if there was three months in between issues three and four i sure as shit wouldn't remember i know there's a new one coming from kieran gillen Hmm. new eternal series with art by asad ribic so i mean I'm not writing off the Eternals as a property just yet. Uh, maybe this Kieran Gillen run will be the 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 injection it needs. But cool. this this certainly wasn't it for me. I was very curious. I remember trying trying to read the first issue when it first came out in issues, and uh, I didn't care, so I didn't continue with it. But I thought, oh, you know what, Neil Gaiman, I've got a better appreciation for Neil Gaiman now cool. than I used to. Maybe this will be it. And boy, it sure wasn't. I know Brian, this is not great. says either. I. What? This is not greatest of Neil Gaiman either, no. like by any means. Yeah. Uh, Brandon says, I agree with Brian, and I felt the same way about Sandman. This isn't an excuse, but maybe Gaiman books are just better on a second read. And I Samuel hate that. David says, I also agree with Brian. I did read it more than once. I, 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 we've talked about this before. I, I genuinely hate that conceit. Like, 
You need yeah. to, you need to, ex- you need to experience it five times before you really get yeah. it. Like I, I, I don't like that. That's just uh, if, I have to, if somebody has to convince me to like something, even if I'm have to try, if I'm convincing myself to like something, something's wrong. Like yeah, I, I and I get that it like reveals layers of itself on further readings. That's great, but the first reading being impenetrable, it's a problem, and I don't, I don't, I don't have the patience. I also think that that is a point of like. First of all, I disagree about Sandman. I've only read it once, and I I think it's amazing. But that is also no author is like. I'm really going to get them on the second read, you know, no, like, I know they're yeah. going for it and no reader is like, um, uh, well, I, I can't say no readers like this, but if you happen to read it a second time and you enjoy it more to say so is not like, what are you going to do? It's better on the second read. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? No, I, I, yeah. as, as, uh, as an anecdotal experience, it's, yeah. I enjoyed it more the second time is great as fuel to get someone to keep going and or repeat. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's false. It's silly. Same thing with, I mean, I feel the same way about like, you should try this TV show. It gets really good in the fourth season. Like hmm. why the fuck would I waste four seasons? But to, on time. to say like, Hey, start with season four. I'm sorry. Well, what like if you like if you if it's contextual to your development or where you're at, like I've seen things when I was a kid or a teen that I've seen now decades later and I view very differently just because mm-hmm. of age and experience, you know, but that aside, yeah, I just the Eternals kind of acted as a sort of unwarranted bedrock to my to my sense of wonder for the Marvel Universe probably disproportionately somehow they just tapped into that weird sense of like they talk about you know chariots of the gods kind of Mm. you know what if mythology that's always been there that's wow that would be so cool and that's always kind of hovered in my mind as far as the marvel universe goes i've always been fascinated by it probably Mm. in 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 like an unjustifiable way and so when i I went into this i was excited and just i hope they don't fuck it up again you know (laughs) (laughs) well you know what i honestly too like if if so I, if you think about the the relaunch uh, with Karen Gillan, if you think about the things that he's written or the the types of stories he's written before that that go hard sci fi but also just in equal measure go full supernatural or or magic based, maybe that's the sweet spot for Eternals. Some sort of sense in the middle of all those things. Um, but I'm I'm definitely taking a wait and see approach. Like I like the concepts. And the ideas of these characters, but as an entry point, this I very much didn't like it. Well, I, I think it I think it's largely might just be like a force fit issue. Like toward the end I, I, I felt like just seeing Iron Man and everything just it's like cramming Watchmen into the DC universe. You know, they did not want the Eternals, they crammed the Eternals into the Marvel universe, you know, so it's just I don't know. Yeah, Kirby yeah, was yeah. to be separate, and then they wanted him to include the Hulk, and just for anyone who might not know, that they wanted him to include the Hulk, and he didn't want to, so he did, but it was a Hulk robot that just looked like the Marvel Comics character Hulk, and then eventually it was like, oh yeah, they're in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah that was... That's, that that's a baller move. Was given the double middles. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I never heard that. I like that, the double middles. That's great. <laughs> um, did uh, anybody have any last words to say about the Eternals? 
Give it a shot, everybody. It's pretty great. <laughs> the concept is great. You know, I don't think that this has any bearing on future Eternal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think this is like, um, it wasn't the most enjoyable execution, but I don't think any of the pieces are broken. Neil hmm. Gaiman isn't shit. John Romita Jr. isn't garbage. Hmm. Uh, the Eternals aren't broken. It's just this. I just this was not a very good sum of all its parts. Yeah, yeah. man, I, I I've got to be honest with you. I I haven't read any of or seen any of their other stuff, but the writing in this book and the artwork in this book, I am I am dumbfounded that they're considered giants. This Have you not read any any of them? No. And uh, after this book, I would ha- you'd, you'd almost have to hold a gun to my head to read anything else. <laughs> Damn! I would not. I would not take this as this is late comics. Neil Gaiman, like twenty years after the stuff that everyone references as the greatest of Neil Gaiman things. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I get it right. Like, it, just as an example, like I adore George Romero, early mm. George Romero, mm. but later George Romero was awful. Yeah. So I get it. Those last two movies were garbage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Island of the Dead or the oh god damn it, Diary of the Dead and yeah. and yeah, those 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 like Land of the Dead was I. It was pretty so good. Give, Actually, it was know, better. I, I would I would give this writer another chance, whatever you guys would recommend. But the, this art was just awful. Like, yeah. Awful. I don't know. I don't get what the appeal is. I just don't. Well, to, in, in fairness, and I might be having my timeline off a little bit, because I think 1602 was about, I think like around 2002, 2003, something like that. It was right? before this. Oh, right. It was before, okay. definitely was before this. But... If I remember correctly, Neil Gaiman was in a long time in this um, this legal dispute over his participation in the the, the British Miracle Man comic book, um, yeah. and I think he also had some kind of legal dispute with Todd McFarlane too oh, over yeah. the Angela character. Yeah. And if I remember, I might be conflating the stories a little bit when. He did 1602. Part of that deal was that Marvel was going to be helping him oh. with one or both of those legal issues. And this, and 1602 was kind of like, you know, all right, his way of kind of like paying back for them helping him with the legal mm. fees for this. And I wouldn't be surprised if him continuing to play around in the Marvel um toy box a little bit after that is also a part of him still kind of like paying off that debt a little bit. Doesn't mean that he didn't really enjoy the Eternals and Jack Kirby and everything like that, but I say that to say, like, I don't think he was giving it his all. I think he was basically, you know, just having some fun. I think if you've never read Neil Gaiman, everybody praises his Sandman. I think it is some pretty good stuff, but to be fair, I didn't read it. I thought 1602 was good. His Miracle Man work was pretty good. Um, I have known, and some, and to be fair, some of his um, his his actual novels that he's written have I've uh, read some excerpts from them, and they actually read very well. So I want to invite you, Pete, to at least. Give him a try on that level. John Romita, I can care less of whether he likes him or not. And like, he's like, whatever the fuck. You know, this, this, uh, he's a dime a dozen as far as artists are concerned to me. 
But um, his father, on the other hand, is a different story. Yeah, but, I like um, his Spider-Man stuff. I liked his John, um, his JMS Spider-Man stuff. That's that's kind yeah. Of- yeah, but that I mean, like, how long ago is that? You know, twenty what I mean? years. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he had kind of an odd blockiness yeah. and facial qualities. Um, yeah. You bring up a good point about Gaiman, though. He had become a novelist for a while before mm-hmm. he wrote Eternals. And we've talked about the difficulty in transition from people who are start out as novelists and then go to comics. And I think it happens like you get used to one style or whatever. And I don't think any of Gaiman's best stuff is superhero or sci-fi, like his best of it. You know, it's all like fantasy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and this True. is like sci-fi superhero stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. uh, Pink, you may have seen he, a couple of his works have been turned into movies. Uh, Coraline, it was like a... Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Kind of a... Oh, it's a, it's an animated. It's um like a stop motion, stop motion, stop motion animated yeah. along the lines of like Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Um, and then there was Stardust, which is oh, uh, oh I like Stardust. That's yeah. based off of his novel Stardust. I have the book. It's actually quite good. Yeah, yeah, we did that uh, for a book club. You're at talking a about book the one with uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert De Niro, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I like watched it. it like two days ago, three days ago. Claire I Dates, love that movie. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah, great that's, movie. That's Matthew Vaughn's second flick. Oh, yeah. yeah I think, I think uh, Claire Danes had a kid and dropped out of acting, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. so, Tyler Reynolds says Stardust was a better movie than a book. He's right. Uh, oh, oh, and then of course Rob Patey says American Gods. Oh, it's phenomenal. Oh, and Good Omens also was recently. He yeah. co-wrote that with Terry Pratchett. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah there, there's good stuff out there. It's just this was not it. <laughs> Uh, if you guys out there in the cult pop land like this book, please email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. If you thought we all have terrible opinions, please yell at us. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at JD's Hero Complex. You can come to my shop, JD's Hero Complex, 4327 Main Street in Philadelphia. Uh, if you want to help the show out, you can go to patreon.com slash johnnydestructo and give us some of your money. If you don't have any of that money, if you're like me, and don't have money, you can go and help the show out if you just want to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that you do on social media to get the word out, help us get some views and clicks and, you know, reach a wider audience to come hang out with us. Uh, Brandon says, since we're wrapping up, I just want to say it was great having Pink on. She added a cool perspective to the dynamic of the group. Um, So, uh, Len, where can we find you? Hey, you can holler me at, at every place, Black Tribbles, at Black Tribbles, or at the Bat Tribble on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Uh, holler at a Tribble. Please, please, please. And everybody be good. And it was great having you on, Pink. You were fantastic. Thank you. Brian, where can people find you? Hey, I'm at brianleadesign.com. And, uh, you know, just if you hire a private investigator or something, I'm sure they could track me down. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, Pink, it was great to have you. Thank you. Now, we, now three people have said it, so anyone that doesn't say it is a real jerk. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey! God. I missed everything. What were you guys talking about? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Noel. Hey! JD was yeah. trying to convince people to finger bang his like button. <laughs> if, you could, if you could enact violence on that like button, it'll help us all. Um, uh, you guys, you guys can find me here, uh, uh, on the social medias, on the Facebook page, uh, on YouTube. I'll, we'll try and be, I'll try and be more consistent with, um, with videos and, uh, on Twitter at, uh, Mr. Bartoti, 
M-R-B-A-R-T-O-C-C-I. Thanks. Nice. Uh, oh, wait. I, oh, I removed her. There we go. Pink. Oh, God. I don't exist on social media. I've got a streaming thing, but it's not ready yet. So, yeah, I just pretty much whenever I show up here is it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we oh, so somebody uh, action figure expert says what? No gutter talk this week. Sorry, we are out of time. I have to go run the store. I am at work literally right now. So um, hopefully next week we will have a gutter talk segment. Yes. Um, and if anybody has any graphic novel recommendations for our book club, the the last Sunday of next month, let us know what you want us to read so we can talk about it. Hopefully we will enjoy it more than this. Which is October, the end of October. So make maybe it spooky. Had a what's that? Make it spooky. Make it spooky. Yeah, yeah. and good. Something spooky. Uh, so Len, Len loves horror books. Yeah, says it every single week. Loves horror books. The grotier, the better. Loves horror books. Len horror tribble. <laughs> it's, it's the thing. The body horror in there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh. just bleh, mangled. Bleh. And Brandon, Brandon, who's uh, behind the scenes with us, says, comment, please. This is it's another thing you can do to help the show. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we will talk at you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast, where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! and Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah. 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 Yeah.